0: Did you know that gold and silver can still be delivered to your door or placed directly into your IRA or 401k tax-free and penalty-free? That's right, real gold and silver in your hands or your retirement accounts. Why should you own real gold and silver? Because they both hold their value, especially when markets decline or fail. Oxford Gold Group is the industry leader in precious metals, offering gold and silver at the lowest prices on the market. It's the company I trust to put gold and silver into both my hands and into my IRA. The Oxford Gold Group will beat any competitor's price on gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and request your free precious metals investment guide. That's 833-600-GOLD and speak to the Oxford Gold Group today. They'll answer all your questions and send you their precious metals investment guide. Call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD, 833-600-GOLD.
1: You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, Buck Sexton listeners. If you do not know me, I am obviously not Buck Sexton. My name is Rob Smith. I am a senior contributor with Turning Point USA and a Rock War veteran, the author of a book called Always a Soldier and the host of a podcast called Rob Smith is Problematic. You can get this podcast wherever podcasts are sold. And Buck has, has, has relinquished his show to me for a couple of days so that we're just gonna, you know, talk about what's going on in the world. There's a lot of stuff going on. So the first big thing that is going on right now is Caitlyn Jenner. Yes, of the the Kardashian clan, Caitlyn Jenner, probably the most famous transgender person in the world, has announced that she is throwing her hat in the ring to run for governor of California. Now, anybody who has been paying any attention in the world knows that California is is, um, what is the correct term for it? A hot mess. <laughs> California has been a hot mess for a, a very long time now. Um, California has homelessness out the roof. Uh, California has tax increases like crazy. Um, California has trash all over the streets. California has used to be a, a very beautiful place to live from what I hear. Um, it has turned into an absolute Crap hole (laughs) to to use that term. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, about California, about my California experience. So I have done some work with Candace Owens and the Blexit movement, the uh, the black exit from from the Democratic Party. And the first Blexit rally that they had in California, um, they had downtown downtown L.A. And so this wasn't my first time in California, but this is my first time staying in downtown L.A. I was very excited. I was like, OK, let me go to downtown L.A. And, you know, since I was living in downtown Brooklyn at the time and I was thinking about making a move over to Los Angeles, I thought that being in downtown L.A. would be great. It was not great. It was scary. It was disgusting. It was really something else. And I'm talking about homeless people everywhere, all on the streets, trash everywhere. Um, people getting into fights. You know, you you take a wrong term, turn and, and you're in skid row. Uh, it, it's absolutely crazy. And so Cal- Caitlin is, is running for governor to try to clean this stuff up because, you know, that uh, Governor Newsom is the subject of a recall petition. They got more than enough signatures for this recall peti- petition i believe that they were they had to get like 1.5 i believe they've got uh, something close to 2 million signatures for this recall and the interesting thing about this uh how the democrats ha- ha- were playing this is that they were actually trying to get the names and addresses of anybody who signed this recall petition to be released obviously they backed off on that because it's 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 nothing more than intimidation so People in California do not like their leadership. Right. But the the interesting thing to me is that they keep on voting for these Democrats. Uh, Governor Newsom has shut down the state. Uh, Governor Newsom has, you know, presided over tax increases. Uh, Governor Newsom has, has pretty much run this state into the ground, and people want a change. Enter Caitlyn Jenner. So, Caitlyn Jenner, this is literally breaking news. This this just happened today. She she released this statement, and I'm going to read you a little bit of what Caitlyn said. California has been my home for nearly 50 years. I came here because I knew that anyone, regardless of their background or station in life, could turn their dreams into reality. But for the past decade, we have seen the glimmer of the Golden State reduced by one-party rule that places politics over progress and special interests over people. I've been a compassionate disruptor throughout my life, from representing the United States and winning a gold medal at the Olympics to helping advance the movement for equality. As Californians, we face a now-or-never opportunity to fundamentally fix our state before it is too late. Californians want better and deserve better from their governor— La la la, blah blah blah. Politicians speak. Politicians speak. Politicians speak. So the question is: Now that we know that Caitlyn Jenner is putting putting her hat in the ring ring to run, can Caitlyn Jenner win? And and I'm telling you, never discount the power of celebrity when it comes to to uh, politicians and into running for office. Like of course you know Donald Trump is is the the obvious choice, but you have to remember. Um, You know, Ronald Reagan started – Ronald Reagan was an actor before he became a politician. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor uh, of, of California. So, you know, back in the day. So this is a really big thing. And it would be very interesting to me – to see how Caitlyn Jenner really goes about this. Because here's the thing Caitlyn Jenner, in one of my biggest frustrations, and I think that one of the biggest opportunities uh, that Caitlyn Jenner missed was that. So when Caitlyn Jenner came out as transgender, and you know, you had all the fanfare, the Vanity Fair cover, like all of that other stuff, all of the hoopla, but Caitlyn Jenner was always a Republican and had been a Republican for, for a while, right? And so for me, and whether you guys know this or, or not, or, or if it's relevant, I'm gay. Um, it, You know, I talk about that in my book a, a lot. And I talk a lot about I'm gay. I'm not LGBTQ. I'm not the far left alphabet soup. I have nothing to do with any of that. But it's very interesting that when Caitlyn Jenner came out as a Republican and she had actually kind of come out for Trump in 2016. But there was a lot of pressure from the the far left and the woke left and the LGBTQ and the alphabet soup to make Caitlyn Jenner sort of um disavow Trump. And now, you know, she hasn't really talked about politics or anything for a while. She had a a failed reality show. I I think that she was trying to kind of bow to to kind of like the woke, you know, the woke left. and, And she was trying to do that. That wasn't really working out. So the interesting thing to me with Caitlyn Jenner running for for office is she gonna put for governor of California, is she gonna put the emphasis on the policies? Are they gonna really talk about the policies that are destroying California from the inside out? Um the, the billions of dollars wasted on the homeless situation, uh you know, the 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 housing shortage, the, the skid row, all of that other stuff. Is she going to put the focus on those policies or is she going to try to run to appease the woke left and the far left? And the thing about California is this. Um, The thing about it is, is that I don't think that you can run against those policies because California is a failed one party state. These policies. And let me tell you something. The policies that they're pushing in California right now this stuff gets nutty okay we're talking about comprehensive sex education and LGBTq education and all of that crap uh, from kindergarten to to fifth grade or, or from K through 12 so all of that stuff is there um they've got the BLM stuff in the curriculum it's crazy I have a um I have a friend named Yako boyans he has a podcast as well and he does a lot uh, he does a lot of stuff when it comes to to sex trafficking and, and, and child sex trafficking and all of this stuff and so He really does put a spotlight on some of the more radical um, stuff that is targeting kids throughout the public education system. And and this is in states like California and to a lesser extent, New York. But California is one of the very worst states when it comes to stuff like this. So my question is, is Caitlyn Jenner going to be smart and to just leave the woke stuff alone and focus on fixing California to make it livable again? Or... Is Caitlyn Jenner going to fall prey to the woke left? Is 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 Caitlyn Jenner going to, you know, try to kind of um cater to them? And I think that it would be a losing game if Caitlyn Jenner decided to cater to them. I think that the best thing to do is to let these Californians know, make them aware of the fact that their state is dying and somebody needs to fix it. And somebody needs to fix it right now. I think the celebrity would help. And the part of me that, that, you know, I, I love pop culture. I'm a pop culture guy. Like I'm, you know, into the celebrity status and all that stuff. The interesting thing to me is going to see, uh, how the Kardashians and, 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 you know, uh, Kylie Jenner and all of that other stuff, how they react to Caitlin running for governor, because that means they, they're going to have to support. Their father, because Caitlyn is Caitlyn Jenner is their father. Like they have a mother, Chris Jenner. So but they're going to have to support their their father running for governor as a Republican. And to me, as somebody who is really focused on um, how Republican and conservative policies can hit the culture, uh, this is very important because this is a cultural moment when Caitlyn Jenner would probably arguably the most famous transgender person in the entire world. um, Somebody that has all of those Hollywood connections when they decide that they're that she's running for governor. That's going to get a lot of attention. So I am very curious to see how this ends up. I am very curious to see how Hollywood, how media, how celebrities and how all of these people react to this, because. It's the double edged sword. And and it's really funny because the woke left will tell you, you know, they're so tolerant and so inclusive. And the woke left will tell you that they love absolutely everybody. Right. But as a gay man who leans, who is conservative Republican, I will tell you that they do not care um, about that. As long as soon as you become a Republican, you are public enemy number one. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this crowd reacts to Caitlyn Jenner and and how they will try to tear her down. Literally. um, I was, you know, I follow some of the, the far left, you know, woke LGBT alphabet soup mob on Twitter. And, um, you know, some of them have outlets and they're covering this And the comment sections are just insane. (laughs) These comment sections are insane. They're, they, they are insane. So it's going to be very interesting to see how far Caitlyn Jenner gets When it comes to this California run for governor, and it'll be very interesting to see how Caitlin is treated by this tolerant and inclusive uh, leftist woke mob. I have uh, an inclination that they are not going to welcome her with open arms. So now earlier this week, um, the George Floyd Derek Chauvin trial came to an end. Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all counts. And um, I, I want to get into something else that happened in, in the wake of that. So this was a uh, a young black girl named Micaiah Bryant that was shot and killed by police officers in uh, Columbus, Ohio. You may have heard about this stuff. I talked a little bit about it yesterday. There has been um, a thickening of the plot and even more idiotic media reactions. But to give you a recap, um, this this young girl, this is a 16-year-old black girl in Columbus, Ohio, was um, was shot. As she was wielding a knife at another young lady. And so the initial reports to this, uh, the initial reports just read, um, you know, in the wake of the, the George Floyd verdict, um, another uh, young black girl shot to death by police officers. And, and this was, you know, the Washington Post and NPR and, and, you know, the, the usual suspects reported it like this. And also, you know, as we all know, there's always a changing to the story. When the body cam footage came out, you found and you saw that this girl was literally about to stab uh, another girl. Uh, the, the officer it happened very cla- very quickly. If you watch the video, the officer it seems like he was left with no choice. But this wasn't enough for the woke mob, because I want to tell you um, how some of them responded to this initially. There is an, uh, an activist named Bree Newsom. She was a BLM activist. She was very famous for, for scaling the, uh, the flagpole in North Carolina, or excuse me, South Carolina and taking down the Confederate flag. She tweeted, and I quote, teenagers have been having night, excuse me, teenagers have been having fights, including fights involving knives for eons. We do not need police to address these situations by showing up to the scene and using a weapon against one of the teenagers. So this is the, the BLM take on all of this stuff. Valerie Jarrett, uh, probably one of the most powerful women in the world, said a black teenage girl named Micaiah Bryant was killed because a police officer immediately decided to shoot her multiple times in order to break up a knife fight. Demand accountability. Fight for justice. And so just when you think that the left can't get any dumber, that they cannot get any more disconnected or divorced from reality. Now we are basically at the point where we are condoning basically teenage knife fights, right? And so, and I'm going to tell you, um, there there's some new footage uh, from the fight, and there is a, a neighbor's reaction to everything that came out. and And I really do um, want you to listen to this because it really does shine a lot of light on exactly what was happening. So I uh, play uh, cut uh, 13 and 14 to me.
3: We've had a lot of people guess at what might have been his choices nine seconds he had to deal with a volatile situation. What in your interpretation were his choices in that moment?
4: Not much, He only, like you said, he only had seconds um, to respond. Um, from my point of view watching this, unfortunately the whole scenario put him in a bad spot regardless of what the situation was. He could have either not fired and the young lady in pink could have got stabbed in the neck or and been brutally or fatally injured. And then responded and shot. And that would have been two young ladies possibly dead. Um, Or he could have responded the way that he did. And unfortunately, one lady lost her life in an incident that probably could have been avoided.
2: And so this is is where we are right now. And the thing about it is. And when we talk about this entire situation and I uh, I, I tweeted something this morning, you can follow me uh, at uh, Rob Smith online on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as, as well. But this is something that I tweeted. I said, why is nobody curious about the take of this other young lady whose life was saved by this cop? Why is nobody reaching out to her? why is nobody interviewing her why is nobody why does nobody care at all about this other young girl whose life was saved and i can tell you why nobody cares about her is because her life doesn't matter because it is not convenient to the narrative that they're trying to push and the the narrative that they're trying to push like this is where we are right now with the left when it comes to policing and all that stuff and by the way i always have to say a million times that this this is a, it's it's a tragedy no matter what it is a tragedy no matter what but nobody cares about this other young lady whose life was saved. And there was, I think there was a clip of this other girl as she was walking away. She was like, uh, Yeah, you know, she's about to stab me. He got her. And that to me is the craziest thing about this whole thing. So you have people on the left that would literally, they're saying that to be involved in a knife fight as a teenager is just a perfectly normal thing it is perfectly normal for teenagers to just get into knife fights and it is the police officer's fault for intervening when the police officer was called to that scene because of the entire altercation and i just the the stupidity of some of these people let me tell you something when Every thought that you have to put out is filtered through a political lens, which says that I'm liberal, so I have to think this and say this, or I'm conservative, so I have to think this and say this. Then you lose all semblance of common sense. You lose common sense. And so these people that are talking about, um, not having police officers break up night fights, knife fights, uh, these people that are, are, you know, making excuses for teenage knife fights, they are not speaking common sense. And they get even more crazier because I just, I, I really want to break down some of the leftist reaction to this by people who are, um, you know, seasoned enough and famous enough to know better. And I'll get into that after the break.
0: Over the weekend, I cooked a whole three-pound Moink free-range chicken. No hormones, no antibiotics, and the best flavor of any chicken I've ever had. I absolutely loved it. So did my girlfriend. We had a feast on our Moink chicken, and now I'm thawing out some bacon, my friends, because Moink is simply the best. They deliver grass-fed and grass-finished beef, lamb, pork, and chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door. This is the box that you need to have sent to you because it also helps family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and Moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormone, sugar, and all the other junk you find in the prepackaged meat aisle. Sign up at moinkbox.com buck. That's right. All you have to do is go to the website moink, M-O-I-N-K, box b-o-x.com slash buck once this this box arrives i'm telling you you'll see inside so much delicious carnivore goodness i mean the best stuff imaginable the steaks the filet mignon the ribeye the pork chops it's amazing join the moink movement today go to Moinkbox.com slash buck right now and listeners to this show get free ground beef for a year and come on, that's an incredible deal. And the ground beef is absolutely amazing. The best you'll ever taste. But this is only available for a limited time. M-O-I-N-K box.com. Moink slash buck. Go to the website now. Moink slash buck and have the best meat you'll get anywhere delivered right to your door.
1: You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at Buck dot com.
2: So like I said, there are (laughs) a lot of people who should know a lot better that are talking complete gibberish when it comes to this Makai Bryant shooting and and when it comes to the idea that, you know, teenage girls should just be allowed to have knife fights, you know, just like this is, I don't know, the the Outsiders or or, or West Side Story or something like that. So I want to play for you. This is... um, Juan Williams, our, our favorite liberal on Fox. And the thing about Juan Williams is that when I told you in, in the previous segment that there are some people who literally filter every thought that they have in their mind uh, through whether or not, you know, they have a liberal or conservative perspective on anything, he's the resident Fox News liberal. And these are his resident Fox News liberal thoughts on this. Play Cut 17.
4: Well, I guess I would shoot the gun, not necessarily at somebody, but maybe shoot the gun and maybe, you know, run at the person and try to disarm them. I, I don't know. I mean, so wait, 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 you would shoot the gun life, in the air like a warning shot? Not well, hopefully to distract or to try to stall or something so I could oh. get or my partner oh. could get the, the knife away. I see is what I was. Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, taking I someone's that life work, is pretty okay. strong i don't either I don't either jesse I mean Jesse, policing is tough work, um but all I'm saying yep. is you know i think I think that that woman with a knife is a danger to society, it's certainly a danger to the other person, and we want her to stop and be disarmed i just I just also think that killing a human is pretty radical i don't think that's a good thing, but what I see overall here. You know, you asked me what I see. I see people now using this Ohio case, which is messy as you and I just discussed, to somehow really try to change the subject, you know, from what happened in Minnesota with the Chauvin uh guilty verdict
2: Okay, well <laughs> Juan Williams, you know Juan Williams is is really something else. But but this is the conversation that we're having here. And the the interesting thing to me is that um I you know I did an interview with a police officer for uh, my podcast, Rob Smith is Problematic. That'll be out in a couple of weeks. And uh, his name is Brandon Tatum, and I've got a clip from him uh, coming up a little bit later. But these people – and I've never been a police officer. What I have been is a soldier in Iraq. What I've been is a a soldier overseas. I I served in Iraq. I I deployed to Kuwait, Iraq. I did the whole thing. When you are in a life-and-death situation – And particularly when you're a police officer and you see someone literally about to get knifed, the adrenaline starts running through you. You have split second to make that decision. It's not the decision that somebody that is Monday morning quarterbacking in a TV studio that has never had to make a decision like that before has to make. And... It is disingenuous for for people like Juan Williams to pretend that, oh, you know, just, you know, shoot the gun in the air or, or you know, just, you know, shoot the shoot the uh, the the knife out of their hand or something like that. It's completely ridiculous. And now that this these more sides of the stories are, are coming out now, people are actually starting to talk sense. people even Don Lemon, Don Lemon. On CNN, Don Lemon, who who used to be um pretty much conservative, but you know since he started getting uh, CNN paychecks and and he's owned by the left now, he's become a leftist. Even Don Lemon has said that you know maybe we have to take a step back. And maybe uh, uh, we have to think a little bit more about the situation because this isn't the case of just like this. This girl wasn't just like standing there in some police officers just like, oh, there's a little black girl. Let me shoot her. This is not what happened. But listen to Don react. Don Lemon's reaction uh, to the video play uh 15.
4: There's a lot of anguish. Uh, people are very emotional right now, but we've got to be fair about. What happens when police arrive at scenes, it is tragic that it's a 16-year-old girl, just as it is tragic that it's a 13-year-old in Chicago. Um, When police are chasing people, they don't know how old they are. And they don't run and say, hey, how old are you? Oh, I'm 13. You know, my mom let me, you don't know that. Or I'm 16. When they roll up on a scene, they see people tussling around. Someone has a knife. And their job is to protect and serve every life on that scene. And if they see someone who is in the process of taking a life, what is that decision? What decision do they have to make? And I know that people say, well, you know, you could do this, you could do that. Tasers don't work the way guns work. Not, taser, at, that, not at that distance. Not at that distance. And, and taser, not with that amount of time. And that, yeah, right. Tasers, then do, they don't always connect.
2: Now, Don Lemon, better watch out because, you know, when you start making sense, the, the, the woke lefties, they come after you. When you start making sense and when you start speaking anything outside of what they think that the right take on any circumstances, they start coming after you. And now, now, um, there, Sunny on the View kind of came after him a little bit, and it'll be very, it, it's very interesting to me the way in which she kind of flipped the story a little bit. Play cut twenty two. I want you to, I want you to understand exactly what she's doing here
3: also allegedly attacking her let's compare apples to apples let's compare this uh young girl 16 or uh, 16 years old or 17 years old to other 17 year olds let's compare her to kyle rittenhouse video was taken 15 minutes before rittenhouse allegedly shot and killed two people you know what officers did he was carrying an assault weapon Uh, The video shows the police shared water with him and thanked him for uh, uh, his presence. Also, after the shooting, he was able to leave the scene. Even though caught on video, he walked towards police with his hands up as protesters yelled that he had shot people. Let's also compare him to the Atlanta shooter, Robert Aaron Long. He was taken into custody without incident. And you know what the officer said that arrested him? the captain, that he was having a really bad day. How about comparing him to Dylan Roof? In June of 2015, he killed nine churchgoers. He was treated so kindly by police that he was taken to a Burger King. So was de-escalation a possibility here in this case? Not with this black girl, not at all.
2: So this is... Deeply disingenuous, first of all, and I just want to make you I, I want I want you to really be aware of the the racial narrative that that they're sort of putting right here. And the thing with the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, and, and this is what's going on here, is that Kyle, number one, it was it was dumb of that kid to to take that gun and then travel state lines. He was that was self-defense. He walked towards police officers with his hands up. There was no there was no altercation like these police officers were not running into an altercation. And what they do. Is they compare completely different situations that have really nothing to do with each other, except for the fact that they find some white person to compare it to in order to sort of push, push the racism, push the race agenda, push it, push it, push it. And the saddest thing about all of this stuff is that we never talk about the institutions that failed this young lady, Makaya Bryant. She was a foster kid. She was, you know, basically in, in and out of homes. You know, her, her mother didn't even have the custody of her. So there were a lot of institutions that failed this young girl. But that police officer saved another young lady's life. So when we're talking about everything that's going on here, when we're talking about, you know, the police officers and and demonizing the cops and all of this stuff that is going on right now. There is a demonization of police that is going on right now. It is coming from. Wealthy black liberal Hollywood celebrities like LeBron James, who, by the way, tweeted out a photo of this police officer that was involved in the Makai Bryant shooting, tweeted out a photo of this police officer saying literally, you're next, hashtag accountability. Awful. You know, still hasn't been penalized by Twitter. To me, something like that would seem like targeted harassment but this is a pattern of people on the left demonizing police officers. And what I hate about this the most, um this because it always comes from from liberal black celebrities is that it denies the existence of black cops. There are a lot of black cops around America serving these communities, putting their lives on the line. And this demonization is making things more dangerous for them as well and Ted Cruz Ted Cruz agrees I want you to listen um, to Ted Cruz talking about this LeBron James tweet Uh, play cut 9
5: well you know unfortunately this is a pattern where the left consistently goes after attacks and demonizes police officers and they do so often before the facts are known often before there's any evidence of what happened but their immediate reaction whenever there's an incident is the police officer's in the wrong, the police officer is is, is the villain. In, in this instance your next uh, could, could, could certainly be interpreted by some even for as a call for violence and I think it was a grossly irresponsible message for LeBron James to send out and Thank <laughs> we've now seen the body cam footage from what occurred and and by any measure it was a volatile situation the 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 woman who was was killed was wielding a, a knife was violent appeared to be threatening the lives of others it may well be on an investigation that this police officer saved the life uh, of a potential victim of a knife attack and, yeah. and 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 we should jump to conclusions there needs to be an investigation anytime there is a shooting that takes someone's life it should be investigated the facts should be determined But the left doesn't care about the facts. They care about demonizing and attacking law enforcement.
2: And I think it's wrong. He's absolutely right. The left doesn't really care about facts. Um, The left doesn't even really care about most of of these people that are involved in these shootings. Uh, You just look at how quickly um, they move on when things don't fit the narrative. And as a matter of fact, if the left cared so much Um, There was a a, a seven-year-old black girl, I believe her name was uh, Jaslyn Adams, that was killed in Chicago. You don't hear a peep about this. You never hear anything about um, these lives that were lost unless they were killed by a white police officer. And so Ted Cruz is absolutely right about this. And the question is, the question that I have is, what does this mean to police officers and their safety? And how they are seen by the communities in which they have to work when somebody as big as LeBron James, who has millions and millions and millions of followers on social media, when if LeBron James says something, it is global news. What does this do to their ability to do their jobs when he tweets this photo of this officer and says, you're next? What does it do when the most prominent black leaders in society make it a point? To demonize all police officers. And obviously they're demonizing the white ones because they, you know, look, people on the left need for African-Americans and for black people in America to feel like perpetual victims so that they can constantly maintain their control over them. And so for these people, for them to even. Um, recognize the existence of black police officers and even celebrate that and even celebrate these black police officers that put their lives on the line every single day in majority black communities to even acknowledge their existence is to go against the narrative that they're pushing. And now listen to noted race hustler, legendary race hustler. I, I think that he literally wrote the book on race hustling this is Al Sharpton. And this is Al Sharpton talking about the police. And and, and this is what he has to say about the cops. Um, play cut five.
6: Well, the thing we don't know is the the circumstances in North Carolina. We don't know uh, everything about Ohio, whether there was another way could have dealt with it. The families reached out to us. We don't know uh, everything. We do know a knife was there. We know, Dante, there was no knife. But the one thread between all of them and many other cases is the lack of trust in the criminal justice system and law enforcement. That's why you need the legislation. Every case the police may not be wrong, but every case they're not right. And that is why there's such distrust because they've unilaterally always gone with the police. The police is right, don't question the police. When when I stood with, with uh, the Floyd family, the other night and heard the verdict and all of us broke out in tears. I thought about how I stood in courtrooms with the mother of Amadou Diallo and the mother of Sean Bell and Eric Garner and others that never even got a guilty verdict. Some in Eric Garner's case never even got to court. Michael Brown's case, Tamir Rice's case, they never even got to court. So... In many ways, people are saying, well, let's judge things one by one, which may be right, but then judge them one by one when the police kills a 12-year-old boy in Ohio. Then judge that one by one. The police have almost had immunity uh, in terms of some areas of law enforcement, and that needs to stop by federal law.
2: Now, do you notice that all of these cases are always conflated with one another. And the Tamir Rice case was was awful, was horrifying. Obviously, police officers were in the wrong in that. And, and when that came out, if you're not uh, aware of that, there was a there was a kid that was uh, he's like waving around a toy gun, I believe. And was shot and killed, he's 12, 13 years old, I think. But there is this conflation of all of these different situations that they use to push this narrative and push this agenda and Al Sharpton he was dragged all over the internet a couple of days ago because he was talking you know uh he did a video I'm on my way to Minneapolis fighting for justice and you know he, and he's strutting to a private jet and he decide and he thinks in his mind that that's a good thing to put on Twitter and this is why you want to talk about a lack of trust I trust police officers more than I trust any of these race hustlers because they have been doing this over and over and over again for decades at this point. They do not care that they are hurting black communities. They do not care about the black lives that are lost because of gang violence or the black lives that are lost during the BLM protests. They do not care about these lives because these lives do not fit their agenda. These lives do not give them more political power. These lives do not give them more notoriety. So I trust them less and less. And I'm going to tell you, when you talk to real people in America, black, white or otherwise, but particularly black Americans, these black liberal commentators that run around the cable news and, and, and talk all this gibberish They don't represent the vast majority of black Americans because the vast majority of black Americans have common sense, because this is common sense stuff that we're dealing with here. And I'm going to tell you something. The pattern of police officer hatred that is being normalized here hurts black communities. And I'm going to tell you all about that after the break.
0: Could the stock market actually surprise a lot of folks and be on the precipice here of some historic gains? All depends on what you're invested in and what you do. But my friends at Carnivore Trading believe they've spotted some key indicators that mean that there are going to be big profits in some sectors that the Wall Street experts are going to miss. Carnivore Trading is an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And when you subscribe to Carnivore, you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades they're making for their elite clients. You can mirror their trades with whatever broker you use or pass. That's fine. But why would you pass when their trades routinely crush the S&P 500? When you see this for yourself, then you'll know. They guarantee, that's right, guarantee, you'll earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back. That's five times your monthly subscription fee just by mirroring their trades. The market could be on the verge of this massive upswing. Carnivore thinks it is. Get off the sidelines and mirror Carnivore's trades today. Right now, you'll get two weeks free. Visit GetOurTrades.com and use promo code BUCK. That's GetOurTrades.com. Make sure you enter that promo code BUCK to get two weeks free. See website for guarantee terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings.
1: This is the Buck Sexton Show Podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iHeartMedia.com.
2: He may read it on the show. We have all of this demonization of police officers. That we have people like, you know, Al Sharpton, you know, talking about, you know, the police are they may not always be wrong, but they're never right. we have all of this stuff, what does this do to the perception of police officers in these communities? And we'll just talk about the black communities. The pattern of police officer hatred hurts Black communities. It, it really does, and I cannot overstate this enough, because when you look at the communities that are the most overpoliced in America, these communities are majority African American because these are the most crime-ridden communities out there, particularly the communities in the inner cities. And these are just facts. These are just facts, because facts are facts. Facts don't have an agenda. Facts don't have a narrative. Facts don't have a liberal or conservative bias. They are just facts. And the communities that are hurt the most by these are primarily African-American communities. And I'll tell you, what is going to happen when people start demonizing the police in this way and that they keep on doing it? What is going to happen? Police are going to start fleeing the cities. They are going to start leaving these cities behind. That is exactly what is going to happen. And there's an article from The Daily Caller, basically dealing with record high murder rates, Philadelphia struggling to recruit police officers. A combination of the coronavirus pandemic putting police training on hold, a decreasing amount of people wanting to become police officers in big city and a spike in retirements have all contributed to the problem. This is coming from uh, John McNesby, who is the president of the Fraternal Order of Police um, in Philadelphia. So you have police officers who do not want to be cop. The, the, they are seeing the hatred that is coming up for police officers, and they are just retiring. They are saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I literally cannot think think of a more thankless job in the world right now than to be a police officer. Because everybody hates them. Nobody respects them. People think that they are the enemy. And this is what they are being told by LeBron James. This is what they are being told by these people in the media. This is what they are being told by you know people like Juan Williams on Fox News. And what is going to happen is the suburbs are going to start filling these spots. Now, in this article, they talk about Philly and how Philly can't get cops. Who would want to move to Philadelphia right now? Who would want to move to Philadelphia right now to be a police officer? What crazy person would want to do that? Would want to police the streets of Philadelphia right now or any large city? Detroit, Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Atlanta. Who would want to go to any of these large cities to police? These guys are moving to the suburbs. They are having no problem finding police officers and this is what happens. And this is you know the uh, the director of this uh, Bucks County Police Training Center um, told the Daily caller that uh, I do see a number of officers from some of the bigger cities like New York and Philadelphia. Yes. And this uh, this person uh, also said that the Philadelphia Police Department is operating at dangerously low levels. So what happens when we have a society that demonizes police? These people do not want to do this job. They leave the cities that need them the most, and these cities get more and more dangerous. There is a shocking rise of violent crime in a lot of the cities in America, and you see it all over the place. If you want to take about, you want to think about New York, and for example. You want to see the real New York? Don't see you. You ever notice how you don't see a whole lot about what it actually looks like on the streets of New York? You know, you see the people on the sets on MSNBC, and then you know they're they're, um, you know, coming in from their homes or from the studios, or whatever. But you don't see anything that's really going on in the streets because violent crime is rising in New York. Violent crime is rising in Detroit. Violent crime is rising in Philadelphia. Violent crime is rising in these places because. They are struggling to recruit police officers. Police officers do not want to do this job. They do not want to do this job. And here's the thing about the police officers and the demon the demonizing in the black communities. Um, Candace Owens, gotta love her, has had a lot to say about this topic this week. And I, I want to play you. This is something that uh, that she said about police of- policing right now and the police officers in just this this moment that we're in when it comes to policing. Uh, play uh, Cut 16.
7: If that's what you want, if you would like for police officers to simply stop policing, raise your hand. And let me tell you something, that's what you're going to get. And let me tell you something else. That wish is a racist one because we all know which are the neighborhoods that need the most policing. We all know that there are minority neighborhoods where the police are called, called the most to deal with violent crimes. We all know that this scenario is going to lead to more black death. So if you're a person who goes, well, we just got to meet police officers, you know exactly what you are doing. I don't blame police officers right now if they want to step down. I don't blame them. I, I, personally, I would almost respect if police officers were on strike. I would respect it. You know what? This Let, let the neighborhoods turn into Gotham City. Let, let the neighborhoods, let them riot, let them loot, let them burn. If they want to murder one another, and what, what would be the purpose of a police officer wanting to hold that badge, have that badge anymore, when this is how we treat them?
2: And I mean, she's absolutely right. She is absolutely right. Look, I I can't think of a more thankless job to do right now in the United States other than being a police officer. You are risking your life every single day. You are walking down the street. People hate you. People hate you. I remember uh, last summer, a couple summers ago, and you will probably see Instagram and and Twitter videos and stuff like this. uh, People uh, running around shooting cops with uh, super soaker water guns. You know, some of them are filled with urine, throwing Water balloons at them, filled with urine, stuff like that. This is how police officers are treated in these communities. And you know who is not bashing police? And you know who is not asking for less police? The people who actually live in these communities. The people who live in these communities are not asking for more police. It is just the wealthy, black, and white liberal elite that do not have to live in these neighborhoods. They get carted around from car to set to Martha's Vineyard to wherever. They do not have to live these lives. And I'm telling you something. They do not care about the neighborhoods that they are destroying with this rhetoric. They do not care because to these people, and this is the problem with liberalism. This is just the problem with liberalism in general, because you can say the right things, the quote unquote right things. They will say the things that will make them popular. They will say the things that will make all the other idiot seals clap. But these things are not real. And these things have a detrimental impact on the lives of the people in these communities. And it's a detrimental impact on the lives of these people in the communities that they claim to care for. Because you cannot care for the people in these communities. You cannot care for people in inner city communities you cannot care for people in, in rural crime ridden communities you cannot care about people and not tell them the truth because the truth is hard the truth hurts and the truth sometimes sucks and you know what the truth is not going to get you 10,000 retweets and the truth may not get you you know an invite to sit down and moderate a conversation with president obama And the truth certainly is not going to get you a primetime show on msnbc but the truth is the truth. Facts are facts. And if we continue to demonize the police in this way, if we continue to engender a culture in which people hate police officers and start to live and create this real weird world in which all police officers are racist white people. As opposed to the the black people and the Latino people and the Asian people and all of these people that are also serving to keep the peace. If we continue to fall down into this rabbit hole, this is not going to end well. And you see it happening with the police officers leaving the big cities. You see it happen with the crime rising, D.C., Detroit, Atlanta, L.A., Philly, New York, certain areas of Brooklyn, certainly the Bronx. And so these communities are the communities that are hurt the most. So we have to start having a different conversation about this and we have to start holding the media accountable and holding these people who spout out this rhetoric more accountable for this stuff, because this is going to end up hurting these communities. And I told you about Brandon Tatum before he had a a very powerful statement that he made when he was speaking to a BBC news about this whole thing. And I'm going to get into that after the break. So we're going to be talking a lot about policing and a lot about everything that's going on this week, because this is what the national conversation is. People are talking about policing and people are talking about race and racism and all of that stuff. So let's talk about it. And the conversation about policing in America it is so racialized that we don't even cut through that conversation to talk about what reforms really should be made and really need to be made. We always go with the narrative and the narrative is not necessarily true. The narrative about policing and about you know black people and police officers in this country, the narrative would have you believe that black people walk around everywhere in every single place in this country with their lives in danger because some cop could just run up to me at any moment and then just shoot me in the chest for no reason. Like I'm not running. I don't have a, I don't have a, a weapon. You know, I'm not resisting arrest. I'm not like they can just shoot me for no reason. That is absolutely false. But there is a conversation that needs to be had about some of the, the levels of policing and some of the, the, the processes in procedures for policing and that is a fair conversation to have and and so when we get into that let's let's sort of reframe this conversation right now and i want to reframe it out of this idea that it is only black people black americans that are having these negative and potentially fatal encounters with police officers at all time because that narrative is not true and i'm going to give you some statistics and this is this is from fox news And according to Fox News, this is fatal police shootings as of April 12th, 2021. Fifty two black Americans were shot and killed by police. Three of them were unarmed. One hundred and nine white Americans were shot and killed by police. Five of them were unarmed. So you have and this is what the facts are telling us, that more white Americans than black Americans are shot and killed by police. More unarmed white Americans, as of 2021, this year, have been shot and killed by police that were unarmed. And so when we frame things like this and we think about this conversation, then it stops becoming about race and then it starts becoming a more difficult conversation and it becomes a more different conversation and I think a conversation... That may actually be valuable for us to have because it becomes a conversation that is not so tinged with race all the time. We have to start having the real conversation about some of these tactics, because even though the media will not tell you this, the media has no interest in white people killed by police. Whether they're armed or unarmed, they have no interest in that because it does not sell for them. It does not give you clicks. If you were listening to me yesterday, I told you that I worked in media. And I was doing these stories, you know, what I did was, uh, was uh, I would find the story that was written and then I would use my voice and, and then, you know, we'd throw some video on it and put it out there. And in the summer, this was back in the summer of 2016, and they could not wait to find another story, unarmed black person shot by police, unarmed black person shot and killed by police. They couldn't wait because this is what sold for them. And what doesn't sell for them is when we talk about stories about white Americans that were shot and killed by police. And I want you to listen to a man named Brandon Tatum. Brandon Tatum um, was a police officer and he has a, a very large online platform. You can follow, find him everywhere at the officer Tatum. And he's a really good resource because he speaks to these policing issues a lot. And I I want you to listen to him because he has a different perspective on on all of this stuff and he went to uh bbc news with this perspective and i I think it's very interesting so uh play cut 19 we'll listen to this
6: so the rate of people being killed by police is the rate is higher amongst black people than amongst the rest of the population what do you how do you account for that is if that isn't a systemic racism problem
8: yeah, that's not, first of all, that's not true. Twice as many white people get killed by police every year. Twice as many white people are killed unarmed by police every year. You just don't see it. There's a gentleman named Tony Tempa. I guarantee you anybody watching me have no idea who Tony Tempa is. Tony Tempa was murdered in the same fashion that George Floyd was killed. But because he was white, we don't hear about it and nobody cares about it. Nobody's talking about police reform when he was suffocated and killed. But they only talk about it because George Floyd is black. Black people commit over half of violent crimes in this country and only make up 13% of the population. They commit um, over half of the murders in this country, but only make up 13% of the population. And we can agree that 13% of the population aren't the criminals. There's only a small fraction of the black community that's doing this. So that explains why police are in the black communities more. And that explains why black people are incarcerated more. They are making up lies saying that it has anything to do with racism. Do you understand that there's black police officers too that patrol in many of these majority black cities? Are they racist?
2: And of course, he is absolutely right. He is absolutely right. And when you break down the statistics, when you break down the facts and data, when you break down everything about all of this stuff and you see why, like I said earlier in the show, there is a reason why some of these black Americans are being overpoliced. You know, there's a reason why some of these communities have more police officers in them. There is a reason why some of these African-Americans have more negative police officer interactions. And this crime rate is the issue. This crime rate is the problem. And the issue that I have with the left as they try to, quote-unquote, fix this problem. They want to fix everything by legislation. They want to fix everything by legislation. You cannot legislate morality. You cannot legislate a good upbringing. You cannot legislate two parents in the household. You cannot legislate somebody not interacting or acting out with violence. You cannot legislate things like that. No matter how much the, the left tries to do it. You cannot legislate this stuff. And you cannot ignore the structural issues when it comes to um, the, the black family, when it comes to um, educational system. When you come to all of this stuff, like you can't discount all of that stuff. And you can't always put the onus on police officers and you can't always put the onus on the federal government or people that are on federal payrolls or state payrolls or whatever to raise these kids. Because these kids are not doing well. Those young, those two young teenage girls in uh, in D.C. that carjacked the Uber driver killed him. Killed this Uber driver. They were more worried about her, their phones. This young lady, Makai Bryant, who was obviously failed by the system in some way shape or form but was still on her way to to literally stab another teenage girl this stuff is not going to be fixed with legislation now granted some of the processes need to be reformed but you cannot legislate morality you cannot legislate how these parents are raising their kids you cannot legislate a a household you cannot legislate what a two-parent household would mean to a lot of these kids that are in trouble. But I do want to get into some of these ideas that they have for police reform after the break. When running a
0: business, HR issues can kill you. You've got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. And you know HR manager salaries aren't cheap, an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding determinations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day all for just $99 a month. Month to month, no hidden fees cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B A M B E dot com slash buck. Bambi.com slash
2: buck.
1: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
2: So now that we have talked about policing and we've talked about all of this other stuff, and and I've really wanted to broaden out the conversation to make it not so explicitly focused on race, because I believe that we lose something when we explicitly focus this stuff on race. But that is not to say that there may be some issues with policing here. And like I said, you know, there's, there's this whole saying when, uh, you know, when white America gets a cold, uh, black America gets pneumonia, right? So these issues that are happening with policing are definitely valid for white Americans. I just told you in the last segment, I just told you there are statistically more white Americans killed by cops, both armed and, and unarmed in the United States of America so far this year. So there's something to this. And I really want to break this down, and I really want to have this conversation and try to understand it. So um, Attorney General Mer- Merrick Garland, now this was after the Chauvin case uh, was, was decided, after he was found guilty, um, he announced that his Justice Department is investigating policing practices in Minneapolis after George Floyd's death. I want you to listen to what he had to say about this. You can play a cut, too.
4: Yesterday's verdict in the state criminal trial does not address potentially systemic policing issues in Minneapolis. Today, I am announcing that the Justice Department has opened a civil investigation to determine whether the Minneapolis Police Department engages in a pattern or practice of unconstitutional or unlawful policing. I know that justice is sometimes slow, sometimes elusive, and sometimes never comes. The Department of Justice will be unwavering in its pursuit of equal justice under law.
2: Okay, so this is interesting. Um, this is interesting. So if you remember back to Ferguson, back to when the, the BLM movement and all that stuff started in Ferguson, Missouri, this is back in uh, 2015, there was a similar DOJ report in Ferguson. And I think this is interesting because and I'm going to get into this because I've never said, like I said, I'm not I'm not your typical conservative. I you know, support the cops back to blue and all this stuff. I've never said that these issues in policing do not exist. And that they do not um, affect African-Americans, they affect African-Americans, white Americans, everybody. This is something that I really do believe we should all be talking about. And so I just want to share with you, um, there's a few takeaways from the DOJ report um, in Ferguson from 2015. There were you know, racial disparities in traffic stops. So from 2012 to 2014, 85% of people stopped, 90% of people who received the citation, and 93% of people that were arrested were black. Uh, black drivers are more than twice as likely as their white counterparts to be searched during vehicle stops, but 26% less likely to have contraband. So these disparities exist. And this has become, like I said, almost a, a bipartisan conversation, because if disparities in the criminal justice system were not a bipartisan conversation, if this wasn't a conversation that people like Senator Rand Paul have been having for quite some time, um, then the, the First Step Act, which was the most comprehensive criminal justice reform in a generation, would not have passed under the Trump administration. So this happened under Trump. That did not happen under obama as much as they would want you to believe that and and i know that the left is probably going to try to memory hole this but the first step act happened under president trump and like i said there are a lot of republicans that have spoken out about this as a matter of fact um senator rand paul i was on capitol hill lobbying for the, the for the first step act Um, I, we, we flipped Ted Cruz from a no to a yes. They had to change a couple of things out for uh, Senator Cruz and Senator Paul, um, sat down with us in his office. It was me, um, in a group of, of other young black conservatives that were really lobbying for the first step act. And Senator Rand Paul is an ally. Senator Rand Paul is on it when it comes to this. And he knows just as I do, just as you do, that this is stuff that affects all of us. These issues with policing, these questions that we have about the tactics and the systems and all of that stuff, this stuff affects us all. So, yes, these disparities exist. But the hypocrisy of the left is that they have no real interest in really taking any action when there's not a Democrat in charge. You remember, I'm old enough to remember, when senator tim scott the great the great senator tim scott had a police reform bill that was ready to go he had taken into consideration all of the things that the activists were saying he wanted to do things in a way that were respectful of police officers and what they do but not demonizing them on the way that in the way that The left does. There's a lot of different things that he brings to the table about this. But as soon as the Democrats took the House, they would not even allow for remarks about this. They would not even address it. And that is the interesting thing to me. That the left says up and down back and forth that they want all of this stuff for for all of america they want this stuff for black america they want uh criminal justice reform and they want police reform and they want all of these different things and when it is presented to them when a republican is in office they do not even want to look at it they do not even want to bring it up and for me Looking at the Trump administration, looking at every single thing that was going on and looking at people like Senator Tim Scott trying to do the right thing. And, and seeing him rebuffed by the Democrats and, and by the left when he brought this up. Is kind of insane. And I want you to play. This was Tim Scott talking about this bill at the time. This was, uh, and, and this is him talking about his interaction with police. Because what this does is this humanizes um, his interactions a little bit. And I want you to to play cut twenty.
8: In the course of one year, I've been stopped seven times by law enforcement officers. But the vast majority of the time, I was pulled over for nothing more than driving a new car in the wrong neighborhood or some other reason, just as trivial. I also think about the experiences of my brother who became a command sergeant major in the United States Army, the highest rank for an enlisted soldier. He was driving from Texas to Charleston, pulled over by a law enforcement officer who wanted to know if he had stolen the car he was driving because it was a Volvo.
2: So that's Tim Scott talking about his experience with this, right? And I think and let me tell you something about Tim Scott. I it was uh, was had the the pleasure and the honor of being on a panel with the senator. This was uh last this was in twenty twenty before the lockdowns happened. And he is a very soft spoken man, but he carries a lot of dignity, but also wields a lot of power and a lot of authority. So when he speaks to these issues, it is not hyperbolic, he is not demonizing police, he is speaking of these things in a way in which he can bring the country together on these issues and if we do not figure out a way to bring the country together around issues like policing around issues like the procedures that are in place if we do not do this we will fall as a country because it is too tenuous right now this con these conversations that we're having right now um are, are too tenuous. And this needs cooler heads to prevail. I believe that Tim Scott is one of them. And I'm going to tell you what he wants to do about this now, right after the break. So Tim Scott is actually trying to make a difference. And by the way, while we're, while we're speaking about uh, Tim Scott, he is going to deliver the Republican rebuttal to. Uh, President Biden's address, I believe this is next Wednesday. So he's going to deliver the Republican rebuttal. He is, uh, he's somebody to watch on the Republican side. He's definitely somebody to watch for 2024, though my personal favorite is Ron DeSantis. So, but he is somebody to watch because he can really speak very eloquently about these issues in a way that is designed to unite and not designed to divide. I think that is the most important thing. And so now, When I told you that he had had this police reform bill that was up last summer, it was ready. The Democrats would not see it because they had taken back the House. But now he told this is from Axios. So Senator Scott told reporters that he plans to reintroduce this bill or a similar proposal in the coming weeks and that he has discussed a compromise with Karen Bass out of California and and Senator Cory Booker out of New Jersey. uh, Karen Bass, a representative from California. So these after when the George Floyd death and and all of that stuff was happening last summer, um, Democrats and and Republicans introduced two different bills. Um, Neither bill gained enough to support to become law and the debate. This from Axios largely devolved into partisan bickering, which is exactly what (laughs) a lot of our lovely elected representatives do in Washington, D.C. They bicker. I think that all of America is ready for these people to actually take some action because i do not believe that this is something that it this is so often made a partisan issue because the rhetoric from the left is so divisive it is so nasty it is so crazy because their crazies get a lot more attention than the crazies on the right. We on the right, we do a pretty good job at, at, at tamping down our crazies. or are just not giving them attention. But there are a lot of crazies on the left. and they say crazy things that are not good for America because they do not want people to come together to come to, to come together. They want people to remain divided. Division is their bread and butter, division. This is what these people want, right? So I think that if Senator Tim Scott works with these Democrats, we can figure out something. Is this going to shut the far left up? No. But people need to come together and we need to compromise and we need to realize that this is a conversation that we're happening that is happening right now. And people on the right and the left need to figure it out. And this is what he says um, when it comes. This is what Tim Scott says when it comes to, to this bill. Um, he wants victims and victims' families to be able to sue police departments. He says, um, enabling victims and victims' families to go after the departments is a way that I think we can make progress towards a bill that actually has the kind of impact that I think is helpful. Um, so in, in he says that he only has a couple of outstanding issues from his perspective. I would be very interested to see what they have to bring to the table. What I do not want to see is this George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, because I do not think that we should be naming federal legislation after someone with the history that George Floyd has. And I am so tired, and and Candace will say this, and I will say, I am so tired of making these people martyrs and icons. This person that was robbing people, this person that held a gun to a pregnant woman, something, all of this stuff. But this is what, you know, the the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that is coming from the left would do. Ban no-knock warrants in federal drug cases. Um, Encourage local and state agencies to comply by tying bans to federal funding. In qualified immunity, which protects law enforcement officers from most civil lawsuits. Make it easier to prosecute police officers accused of misconduct by lowering the legal standard from willfulness to recklessness. Prohibit racial, religious, and discriminatory profiling by law enforcement agencies at the local, state, and federal levels and mandate training against such discriminatory profiling. Note that this training against profiling, that is CRT, critical race theory, crap, that does not need to go into law. Because let me tell you something, when you mandate this kind of training against profiling, this turns into critical race theory crap. And when the law has that, that's just another government grift. I do not like that. I do not like that. Require local and state police agencies to use existing federal funds to ensure the use of body cameras. Yes. Require all federal uniformed officers to wear body cameras. Yes. And I will tell you why I agree with that. We've just been talking a lot about Micaiah Bryant earlier today. Imagine the narrative that the media would have been allowed to run with had we not had video from two separate angles of that incident. Imagine how that would have been reported. Imagine the unrest that would be going on right now in Columbus, Ohio, even more so than there is now because there are still people that are protesting, There's still people that are out there, you know, doing, you know, say Micaiah Bryant's name, like all that stuff, even though everybody saw the video. So imagine how that would look if there were no body camera. And here's another thing. Create a national police misconduct registry to prevent police officers who are fired or pushed out for bad performance from being hired by other agencies. Yes, yes, yes. And I have to tell you guys, this is not in some of this stuff. This is not liberal or conservative. And what we have to start realizing now is we evolve this this conversation from partisan BS is that this stuff will serve to help all Americans. I just gave you the statistics about white Americans and black Americans when it comes to this stuff. White Americans are affected by this stuff, too. Every day, actually, every single day. And so you can have reforms to this system without demonizing police. You can have reforms to the procedures and the structures and all of that stuff and do it without engaging in the hatred of police officers. You can be honest and be real and say that some of these things need to be addressed Without devolving into the leftist conversation that says that all police officers are white, racist, killing machines that go into work every single day looking for some more black people to kill. I think that you can do both of these things. And I think, honestly, that if we get the grown-ups in the room, the grown-ups in D.C., there are a few, there are a few grown-ups left in D.C., not very many, but a few. We get Senator Tim Scott in here, Rand Paul in here, these people in here to sit down, to hammer something out, this will be a good start towards cleaning up this public conversation. And what we need to start doing is stop being so reflexive as, oh, since we're conservative, we just have to, we back the blue at all costs and all that stuff. Life is more complicated than that. Or because you're on the left, that all police officers are white, racist, killing machines look to looking to kill blacks. These conversations are more complex than this. They really, really are. And complex decisions and complex situations require moderate and complex solutions. You may not like that. You may think that I'm not being conservative enough or that I'm not being Republican enough, um, that I'm not making enough sense or maybe I'm making too much sense. But here's the thing about me. Like I said, my podcast is called Rob Smith is Problematic. I am a very problematic individual. But I think that if we get the grownups in charge in D.C. to sit down and hammer something out. We can find a way to. Not only fix the issues that are happening here, but we can also find a way to fix the public discourse and to right the ship around how too many Americans see our police officers. These days, you recognize how
0: important it is that you have to anonymize your connection online. We're all surfing the web constantly doing stuff on our devices, our phones, our laptops. You're being tracked. People are actually keeping all of your viewing habits, your history, what are they going to do with that information in the future? Plus, there are hackers out there who are still trying to get, especially if you're using public Wi-Fi, inside your computer, try to steal your sensitive data, credit card information, and all the rest of it. So you need encryption, and you need anonymity. That's right, privacy for your IP address online. That's what a VPN does for you. A VPN, a virtual private network, anonymizes your IP address, And when you use ExpressVPN, the best in the business, it also encrypts your data. So whenever you're searching for something online, clicking for anything, it is cloaked in actual privacy. And these companies can't track you as easily and sell all your data. So do you want online privacy and do you want protection for your data? Then you need ExpressVPN. Stop handing over your data freely to big tech companies and whatever bad hackers are out there. Defend your rights. Defend your security with the VPN I trust for online protection. Go to the website now, expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck. When you sign up for one year, you'll get three extra months free. Expressvpn.com slash buck.
1: You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to the third hour of the Buck Sexton Show. I am not Buck Sexton. I am Rob Smith. I am a senior contributor with Turning Point USA and a rock war veteran and author of a book called Always a Soldier and the host of a podcast called Rob Smith is Problematic. You can find that wherever podcasts are found, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, the whole nine yards. So let's talk about the border. And let's talk about exactly what is going on with the border right now. The border, our southern border, is an absolute disaster. There have been more legal crossings. There have been more drugs. There have been more of absolutely everything bad now that Biden has taken over as president. And what this is and what people truly have to understand that this is, above all else, a complete policy failure on The hands of the the Biden Harris administration is what you want, you know, the Biden Harris, because we have to make sure that Kamala Harris is included, you know, so it's not so jarring when they get rid of old Joe and, and try to install Kamala Harris. But anyway, it is a policy failure because instead of really taking note of exactly what was going on at the border and instead of really going and seeing what was happening and really figuring out what is the best course forward now that there was a new presidency now that there's a new administration they made the decision to eliminate everything there and it threw everything completely out of whack uh they they removed the remain in mexico agreement uh they put a 100-day moratorium on deportations so many other things they wanted so badly to just get rid of everything Trump that they didn't have any idea of what to do. And now when you add all of this stuff to to the stuff that they said when when you know all the 2020 Dems were running for president in 2020, and I'll get into that a little bit later, it is almost like and I'm telling you guys, this is when I put my conspiracy theorist hat on. They want this disaster that is happening at the border. They want this. Because I told you guys yesterday, I say it on my podcast all the time, I will probably say it again a million times, I'll probably be saying this in 20 years, their goal is to get as many illegal immigrants over the border as possible so that they can turn these people into voters and citizens within 20 or 30 years. They need an entire new class of voters because their ideas are very much out of whack with the general public. They got lucky that... They got Trump out of office. I don't believe that this would have happened without COVID for a lot of different reasons. If it wasn't for COVID, they wouldn't have had these drop boxes. Um, if it wasn't for COVID, they wouldn't have been able to get away with hiding Joe Biden in the basement the entire time. They wouldn't have been been able to get away with all of this stuff. So they were lucky to get Trump out and install Biden in. But the fact of the matter and the truth is that a lot of these policies are vastly out of step with the majority of the American population. The majority of the American population does not want open borders. The majority of the American population believes in border security. The majority of the American population does not believe that um border security is racist. And... I'm telling you, the disaster that is going on at the border, this is exactly what they want. This is exactly what they have been planning for a while. This is not an accident. It is a policy failure, but it is a policy failure that they knew that they were going to do. This is a policy failure that they knew they were going to execute because they want exactly what is happening right now. And so now... I want you to listen to Arizona Governor Doug Ducey. And he's basically saying that this is a national emergency that only Joe Biden can fix. Uh, play Cut Aid.
6: President Biden, if you care about the border, if you care about stopping the cartels who are engaging in all kinds of bad acts, President Biden, if you want to stop the disaster. It's unfolding here and will only get worse in the coming months. President Biden, you should declare a national emergency and deploy the vast powers of your administration to stop what's happening here.
2: And of course, he's absolutely right. But, you know, Doug Doug Ducey, <laughs> this he is operating under the assumption that Joe Biden in this administration has any interest in fixing what's going on at the border. And, you know, this is how our media carries water for these people. The media, there is no media outside of conservative media. Mainstream media has no interest in the border whatsoever. This is why we're seeing all the stuff about, you know, George Floyd and, and George Floyd and Makai Bryan and all this other stuff. This is why we're seeing all of this stuff, because this is all a distraction. They know that only Fox News will cover the border. And that only conservative outlets will cover the border. Only conservative digital media outlets will cover the border. Nobody else going to do it, and they know that. And we have to understand that this is Biden's fault. He has to own this. They all have to own this. Every single person on the left has to own what is going on at the border right now. Remember these? uh God, that stupid AOC photo shoot where she's she was crying. Guys, <laughs> she was crying at the at the fence. Uh, you know, because of the kids in cages. She was, you know, the kids in cages. Remember that? Um, so they were doing all of this stuff because that put that was that was good for their agenda at the time. And now what is good for their agenda is to ignore every single thing that is happening at the border. Now, I want you to think back. To when all the 2020 Dems were running for president. Remember that? Remember? Oh, it's free college, free health care, free everything. And I will never forget, because this was so indicative of this modern day Democrat Party, when every single person, this is probably back when there was about 13 or 14 of them running, every single Democrat on stage raised their hand when they said that they believed in free health care for illegal immigrants. Quote unquote free. And, you know, this is not going to be free. It's going to come from the taxpayer dollars. And that means you and I. And so this is what they want. And they have incentivized people to make a run for this border. I remember a couple of weeks ago, they were literally at the border wearing shirts that said, Biden, let us in. There was when the mainstream media decided to cover this a few weeks ago, there was that that young, that young illegal immigrant. He was saying, um, you know, I came here because of Biden basically. So they have incentivized these people to make a run for the border. And to give you uh, a little example of the stuff that happens at the border, and, and these are statistics from Operation Lone Star. This was a, a border security operation that came out of Texas. 631 arrests, 3,881 pounds of marijuana. 19 pounds of cocaine, more than $1 million, 50 firearms, and 24,000 smuggled migrants. This was Operation Lone Star, and all of this stuff was within, um, I believe, about a five-and-a-half-week period. And this was just from from one operation, from from one area in Texas. So this border problem is not going away, no matter... How much Joe Biden wants to ignore it, no matter how much the mainstream media wants to ignore it. Now, no matter how much they pretend. That any conversation about this is inherently racist, because here's the thing. And, and when you talk about the border, this is one of the fallacies that the left would, would have you think um, they want to pretend as if. Latino Americans just love illegal immigration. They don't love it either. Nobody really does. The only people that really love illegal immigration are the left, are Democrat politicians, because they know that if they make unchecked illegal immigration normal, if they normalize it. And just ignore it while it's happening. They know that they're going to get an entire new group of voters. And I'm telling you guys, this is exactly what they want. So good for Arizona Governor Doug Ducey for declaring this state of emergency. And I hope that this situation gets fixed. Like I said about police reform, this whole this border situation, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican, you should want secure borders. We've got drugs, fentanyl coming through. We've got sex trafficking. We've got kids being sold into sex trafficking. This stuff happens. It is tough. It is hard to talk about, but this stuff happens. This stuff is really bad. And this is the stuff that comes from a border that is not secure. I hope to God that Arizona and Texas and all of those people, I hope that they put enough pressure on the Biden administration, and I hope that they shine a bright enough light on this situation so that we fix it. This cannot continue to be something that both Republican and Democrat politicians do not move on. So there is nothing that Democrats love more than fr- than free money. There is nothing that they love more than de incentivizing people to work, and this stuff is starting to have a negative effect on our economy, on our culture, in America. It it really is. And what are we to make of all of this free money that is circulating around in America right now, these stimulus checks, right? So, you know, you had that multi-trillion dollar um, stimulus bill that just passed. You know, people got, you know, their stimulus checks. You know, people are getting like $1,400 a child. Um, There are people, by the way, in the largest states in this country the the welfare states california and new york are, are are welfare states they're failed states in new york in particular they have been getting extended unemployment benefits for um since around mid uh, since around uh mid to early march 2020 these benefits do not stop until september at the earliest my personal um observation and my belief is that they're going to keep these um unemployment extended unemployment unemployment benefits going through the end of the year probably but what effect is this having on the economy what effect is this having on our culture the effect that it is that is having it is it, it is deincentivizing work it is making people lazy people would rather not go to work because they're making so much money to stay home they really are this is the truth they are making a lot of money to stay home so now you have employers that can't find employees you have people that cannot stay open and I want you to listen to this is a man named David Nicholas he was on um, on Fox business I believe talking about this and really listen to this this is unbelievable but this is him on why employers are struggling to get employees back to work Play out uh, cut 21.
0: Stuart, it really is. I mean, the U.S. economy is set to surge in the coming months. right? Millions of more Americans are getting vaccinated. We're traveling more, going out to eat more. I talked to three different restaurant owners over the weekend. They all have the same issue. They just can't find help. Uh, One of the restaurant owners in Topeka, Kansas, he owns a bar and a restaurant. He said the day after the latest round of stimulus checks hit, Half his staff just didn't bother to show up. There was a McDonald's here in Georgia the day after the stimulus checks hit. The entire staff didn't show up. They had to close the McDonald's for the day. So I'll I'll tell you, many Americans need unemployment desperately, but unfortunately there's so much free aid going around that I think we're incentivizing laziness in some way. So we need to prioritize getting Americans back to work safely, but just not incentivize and reward those that aren't willing to work.
2: Is all this free money making people lazy? Yes. It is making people lazy. Look, <laughs> this pandemic has been hard on a lot of people. It, it has been hard on, on a lot of people emotionally. It has been hard on a lot of people economically. But, you know, one underreported story. It would, nothing, what nobody really wants to talk about here is that, and I'm going to tell you something. There are some people that had a hardcore hustler mentality that were able to make this stuff work that were able to make this pandemic work. They were able look at all the 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 Reddit guy, the Reddit bros that got into stocks and all that stuff and that, you know, pumped GameStop up. And I remember um Charles Payne on, on Fox Business was talking about a kid that, you know, bought a house from all of that stuff. So there are a lot of people that did make this work, right? Even though it was rough, even though it was rough on on everybody. It was rough on me. I'm sure it was rough on you. There were a lot of people that made this work. But there are a lot of people, and I and I have to tell you guys, and I have to get you inside of the heads of, of some of these people, there are a lot of people who are more than happy and more than content to just stay home and to just not work and to just get a check from the government. And these people know that they will not be producers. These people are not going to make enough money to be taxed on all of this stuff. So who is going to be paying for this stuff? It is going to be you. It's going to be me. And I'm going to tell you a little story. I used to have a I used to have a best friend. This is my ex-best friend. Um, not my friend anymore. My my politics are too crazy. I said, you know, I, I, I said the wrong thing about the cult of BLM. So I was excommunicated. It happens. But he was the truest example of of the mind of one of these socialists I'm telling you guys this so this kid was educated at a at a small liberal arts institution um got 100 dollars in student loan debt went overseas you know taught spanish overseas all of that other stuff was was back in vegas was not really enjoying work was was not really enjoying being paid what he was being paid the pandemic he loved it He loved being able to sit at home. He loved being able to get a check from the government. He loved every bit of it. And mind you, that this is not an anomaly. There are millions of people that have been loving this for the same reason. And they're taking these stimulus checks, and then they're going shopping, and they're going on vacations, and oh yeah, it's real. People are taking this stuff, they're going out there, they're going on vacation. My sister um runs a restaurant. She said she can't even she can't even get people to come in work anymore. So now she has to be overworked. So this is a very real thing. And what this this free stuff is incentivizing, this is honestly soft socialism. This is getting people used to free money. This is getting people used to not having to work. And this is not a good thing for America. This is not a good thing for our economy, because I'm telling you, I'm no economist. But a lot of the stuff that's going on right now with the economy, it seems like the economy is going really well right now. This stuff is not real. You cannot print out trillions of dollars of money and use it to artificially stimulate the economy when they have destroyed the economy with all of these lockdowns that, by the way, some places are still just now coming out of. It's completely insane. But this is soft socialism. And I honestly, I honestly truly believe with all my heart that all of the lockdowns, all of the, the hysteria over coronavirus, over COVID-19, over all of that stuff, this was soft socialism. This was these people on the left, the people like AOC, the people like Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, all of these people getting the American people used to socialism and getting them used to free checks. It is Not good. And this is not going to go anywhere positive for our society if this is allowed to continue. And I'm going to tell you, this is not good. If this is allowed to continue for this much longer, if they want to just keep printing money and handing it out to people to not work, this is not going to be a good thing for our economy because what it's going to turn into is this is a, a false bubble. Inflation is crazy. It is a false bubble that will pop. And while we're on the subject of free money, while we're on the subject of the government printing out cash and just handing it out, let's talk about this infrastructure plan, this quote unquote infrastructure plan that um, Joe Biden is putting out. And the weird thing about this infrastructure plan, and and let's just get into this. Um, Let's, first of all, we need to define what infrastructure is because now – People on the left and, and these Democrat politicians, these do-nothing politicians, they are re- redefining infrastructure from what we all know it as. So let's um, go to the, the Oxford Dictionary definition of infrastructure um, before, you know, the left gets to the Oxford Dictionary and they they have them change the, the, um, the definition as well because, you know, they do that. Infrastructure is the basic physical and organizational structures and facilities like buildings, roads, power supplies needed for the operation of a society or enterprise. That is what infrastructure is. And I remember when Trump first got elected, um, he was thinking about a, a, an infrastructure plan as well. There is a very good book. Um, it is called Losing Our Way by a man. I believe his name is Bob Herbert. He used to be a uh, like a CBS News correspondent or something. It is a um Uh, It it is a depressing read, but it really is about and it's all about the degradation of the physical infrastructure that we have in our society. We're talking about um, there are some really horrific stories about um, bridges collapsing, people dying, um, railroad tracks, stuff like that. So that is what we know to be infrastructure. But that is not what the left wants to redefine infrastructure to. Uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand Um, Basically kicked off all of this nonsense about redefining infrastructure when, when she claimed, this is what she said, paid leave is infrastructure, childcare is infrastructure, caregiving is infrastructure. And this is what Biden says about about this you know this redefinition of what we call infrastructure he says the idea of infrastructure has always evolved to meet the aspirations of the American people and their needs and it is evolving again today uh-huh So this infrastructure package quote unquote is 2.5 trillion dollars okay this is two and a half trillion dollars. And according to the Washington Post, only 5% of the funding in this $2.5 trillion plan goes toward what the Oxford Dictionary would define infrastructure as. You know, roads, bridges, stuff like that. So only 5%. So where's the rest of the money go? Well, here's the thing. So $100 billion um, to upgrade local public schools' kitchens to be green. $400 $400 billion to expand Medicaid and boost union roles of healthcare workers. So there is no big government bill that these people will not pass that is not going to scratch the back of the unions. It spends hundreds of billions of dollars across a number of clean energy initiatives to reach net zero emissions within the next 30 years. $174 billion to expand electric vehicle initiative and subsidies and $46 billion to grow federal government buying power. And of course, they're going to do all this stuff um, and also push a tax hike on the the groups that that create wealth in this country. And so this infrastructure plan is BS. It is. It's not going to, to do anything but grow government. And you know, look, Mitch McConnell says as much as well. Uh, play cut one.
6: And the relative pittance this proposal does to allocate actual infrastructure would have to creep through a tangled environmental review process without serious permitting reform. Mr. President, it won't build back better. It'll build back. Never.
2: It will build back. Never. And that is the point. And, And here's the thing. I'm not and when we talk about this fiscal conservatism, like honestly to tell you the truth, I don't even know if fiscal conservative is even a, a thing anymore because every party left and right just spins, 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 and my goodness, they spend so more. And and our great grandchildren are gonna be footing the bill for this stuff. If you talk to people my age, I'm a I'm a I'm a millennial, you know, I'm in my thirties, my and people my age do not think that social security will be there for us. I have no There, I have no illusions that social security is going to be there. So what they're doing is spending, spending, spending. But here's the thing. They're not spending on the things that we need. Um, the infrastructure in this country. And like I said, the Oxford definition of infrastructure, roads, uh, roads, (laughs) you know, buildings, uh, bridges, stuff like that. That is true infrastructure. It does need to be fixed. Okay, there is some money that needs to go into that. But what they're doing here is they are using this infrastructure as an excuse to expand their welfare state, because this is what they do. They are using this to do nothing but to expand the welfare state. And to tell you the truth, they have everything. They have the presidency. They have the House. They have the Senate. This stuff, this bill is likely to pass. They are likely to pass it. I don't think. Look, uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, like they can only do so much. But this bill is likely to pass. And what this is isn't about trying to re- rebuild America. It is about trying to remake America, because Chuck Schumer has told you that he wants to remake America. They told you last year when we were going through. Coronavirus and COVID-19 hysteria that this was what they wanted to do. And my God, they are doing it. They're doing it. And at this point, there is nothing to stop them. But I have to tell you, before I wrap this segment up. I I, <laughs> I had a dream. I had a dream last night. I was like, I literally do. I, I I stay up in bed and I think about these things sometimes. Um, And I was thinking about doing this show because this is the first time I've hosted, you know, three hours of, of radio. And I was thinking about this and because I was thinking about some other moves that I'm thinking about making in my life as well. And I'm thinking, we need to take back the House in 2022. We need to take back the presidency in 2024. And this country needs eight to 12 years of strong Republican leadership at the top to get us back in line. Whether it's going to be Trump again, whether it's going to be DeSantis, whether it's going to be Christian, I don't know who it's going to be, but we need a Republican to get America back on track because we are running off the rails. We are running off the rails here. And that is the infrastructure that the left is not going to fix. So, in the never-ending, never-ending coronavirus hysteria, people are starting to get fed up. People are starting to get over this, particularly parents. Now, if you're a parent, and I am not a parent, but I've I've watched the stuff that's been happening with these schools over the past year. If you're a parent, you're, you're, uh, and your kids go to public school, they probably, if you don't do not live in Florida, your kids have probably not been to school in the better part of a year. And if they are in school, they are forced to wear masks, they're forced to social distance, um, they can't play with each other, they can't interact with each other. Um, there are a lot of stories and a lot of stuff going on around here uh, about you know this is leading to depression in young and young kids, young kids, and even the the high school age kids are, are killing themselves. It, it's really, I don't think that we have really begun to think about what we have really done to the children of this country as the teachers unions have held them hostage over the past year people are getting fed up parents are getting fed up there is a mother that is completely fed up she is going totally viral her name is Courtney Ann Taylor and i'm going to play you she this is a this is probably one of the best rants that you are ever going to hear. This is a mother, and mothers have that, I'm telling you, that that tiger instinct. This mother is fed up with what is going on with these mask mandates in the schools that are open. She's in Georgia. This mother is fed up with what these authoritarians are doing to our children. This mother is fed up with the fact that everybody knows that the coronavirus does not affect children. Like that. We have known this for months and months and months on end. But the left wouldn't allow open conversation about this because they were using the coronavirus pandemic to scare the crap out of all Americans and to be able to get Joe Biden in office. That is what they wanted. They did not care how many economies they destroyed. They did not care how many lives they destroyed. They did not care how many livelihoods they destroyed. They did not care how many businesses they destroyed. The only thing they cared about was getting back in power again because the only thing they care about is power and nothing else. And so this mom went on a rant because she was tired of it. She was tired of these mask mandates for kids. She was tired of seeing what it was doing to her child. And I want you to listen to every word of this. It is powerful. Playout Cut 18.
7: Every month I come here and I hear the same thing. Social emotional health. If you truly mean that, you would end the mask requirement tonight. Tonight. This is not March 2020 anymore. We have three vaccines. Every adult in the state of Georgia that wants that vaccine is eligible to get it right now. And every one of us knows that young children are not affected by this virus they're not and that's a blessing but as the adults what have we done with that blessing we've shoved it to the side and we've said we don't care you're still going to wear a mask on your face every day five and six year olds you still can't play together on the playground like normal children seven and eight year olds we don't care we're still going to force you to carry a burden that was never yours to carry shame on us My six-year-old looks at me every month before I come here, she says, are you going to tell them tonight? Tell them I don't want to wear this anymore. And I say, baby, it's not time to fight that battle yet. I try to explain that there's so many things, but it's April 15th, 2021, and it's time. Take these masks off of my child. (laughs) And I know what I'm going to be met with. But Ms. Taylor, the CDC, we did not vote for people at the CDC. We did elect leaders who do create policy. We elected the five of you. We chose you to make difficult decisions for our children. We chose you to make decisions that would be in our children's best interest and forcing five, six, seven, eight, and nine-year-old little children to cover their noses and their mouths where they breathe for seven hours a day, every day for the last nine months for a virus that you know doesn't affect them. That is not in their best interest. And this has to stop. Defend our children. My six-year-old can't come up here and say this. It has to stop. Take these off of our children.
2: Wow. Wow. That is that is iconic. It is powerful. And she is just giving voice to what so many people think what so many parents across this country think if the coronavirus pandemic and what has happened to this country over the past year has taught us anything is that we have a real lack of leadership. We have a real lack of people and I'm not talking about, you know, all of these politicians and I'm not talking about all of that stuff. We have a lack of people that, are on the ground level to make this decision. You know, she's this is a school board meeting. Uh, you know, this, this like this is these are the people that she was talking to. Um, these are these are local people in the community. And when we have something like the coronavirus pandemic that has been so politicized, even to this day. There are people that are that are so terrified that they are still walking around outside with the mask on by themselves. It is completely ridiculous. And that is how this has been politicized. And I think that these people that are walking around with a mask on outside at this point, I am not even sure if they are still truly this afraid of coronavirus or if they are doing that stuff just a virtue signal. So these people that are in charge that are supposed to be making the difficult decisions are instead playing it safe and the kids are the ones that are hurting and this is a part of a broader overall issue with the mixed messaging when it comes to coronavirus when it comes to these vaccines when it comes to everything when will this ever end and we do not talk about the mental issues and the mental challenges that these kids are going through even the young ones like this this woman's daughter i think cheddar was around 5 6 years old even our teens that are going to go through depression and all of that stuff this is generally and i'm telling you what this year has created is a lost generation of this will be a lost year for so many kids elementary school age middle school age high school age they were failed by weak leadership They were failed by squabbling politicians, and they were failed by people who did not make bold decisions when it came to the true health of Americans. And when we say health, we're talking physical, we're talking mental, we're talking emotional. The one leader who has taken the most crap over the past year, the one leader that made bold choices that were actually based on science was Ron DeSantis. And it is shocking to me, and it is sad that this woman's child had to go through this. And if you think about this one child, think about however many millions of children had to go through this. This coronavirus pandemic, this nonsense has to end. The vaccines are out. Everybody that wants a vaccine can get one. We need to remove these masks. We need to start moving on with our lives, and we need to make sure that this one lost year does not turn into two, three, four, or more lost years due to this pandemic. It is time to move on from coronavirus. Thank you, everyone, very much for listening to me, Rob Smith, filling in for The Buck Sexton Show. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. And if you like what you heard, please download and subscribe to my podcast, Rob Smith is Problematic. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, I hope you join me on over at uh, Rob Smith is Problematic.